from the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and welcome to the Holiness Podcast. It's a wonderful time uh, each month for us to be able to get together and spend some time looking at God's Word and studying about what it means to be set apart for God. And we welcome you. If you're a new listener, we encourage you to uh, grab a Bible and follow along as we uh, study together and probe the wonderful deep things and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to truth that are found in God's Word. Now, we have been studying, particularly in the last month's study, uh, a doctrinal kind of question. We were reviewing uh, Wesleyan-Arminian theology and what uh, holiness means in the context of, of that theology. And this month, I want us to turn to some very practical teaching. And I want us to connect two great words that are found in the Bible. The first word is holiness, which is the purpose for our study and for this podcast. And we have been learning for almost four years now many things about holiness. But I want to connect holiness with faith. And the title of this study is Holiness as affirming faith. Now, I did not come to this topic by accident, nor uh, is it something that I have actually studied before. It is like the Lord has been ringing a bell in my head as I attended two wonderful conferences in the last month. And the idea of affirming our faith as a way of living it and expressing in the context of the wonderful relationship we have with God the Holy Spirit in us, uh, expressing who we are, uh, has been emphasized by two wonderful teachers that I've been exposed to in the last month. The first was at a conference in Wyoming about four weeks ago where I met a wonderful uh, teacher and minister named Bruce Epperly. Uh, I am in the process of trying to write my first book. He has written 57 books and counting and uh, was a wonderful presenter, but he has written a book on affirming faith. And I must give him credit at the beginning of this. I will quote him often. uh, And uh, much of the thinking that comes out of this Bible study uh, comes from him and from his book, Holiness. Uh, Well, it's called uh, Affirming Faith. The other teacher was one of our guests at the Salvation Army Southern Territories Annual Bible Conference at Lake Junaluska, which took place last week. And I just returned home yesterday. Uh, We had a great teacher from the Atlanta area, writer and uh, instructor, uh, 
professor named Chris Tigreen. And his emphasis to us in a very practical way was to learn to affirm our faith. And I kind of accepted from the Lord, okay, you're saying something to me here, and uh, I need to take some time and explore it. And I would like to explore it with you. Holiness as affirming faith. Now, we've used many definitions of holiness over the last four years. I think we'll just uh, refer to it now and then again at the end when we review. uh, One of the definitions is a living and dynamic relationship with God the Holy Spirit who lives in me. And the emphasis of that definition of holiness is on relationship. We are in a living and dynamic relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and in our lives. Now, the definition of faith is something I want to take just a moment on because we're going to be exploring this topic both this month and next month. Faith is an axiomatic word in the New Testament Greek. Now, by that, I mean that the meaning was self-evident to the hearer or reader of the epistle at the time of its circulation. And in most cases, they would be hearing the epistle, for example, of Romans read to them, and they would understand immediately that there are three elements to faith. In the New Testament, the actual word, if you want to uh, do any further study, is pistis. And the three elements I would characterize, uh, it helps me remember, as A, B, and C. A is action. B is belief. And C is confidence. So a working definition of New Testament faith is going to be important to our seeing the connection and to our study with with holiness and to our study for the next couple of months. Now, faith is a very misused term and can mean a lot of different things. There's always been a teaching. It was prominent in the 1960s when I was in college. Uh, It became very in vogue to say It doesn't matter what you believe. You just have to believe it with all your heart so that faith is important just in itself. Today, when much of the teaching in our education system has gravitated toward the idea that all truth statements are equally valid, then faith can come to mean. Uh, whatever one believes in. In fact, there are uh, people who have faith in someone else's faith. But the object of the faith for Christians is one of the most important parts of understanding why God calls us to be people of faith and to believe in him. What matters the most is what you have faith in. Now, we all have faith in a lot of things. When's the last time you drove on the freeway? You have a lot of faith in 
all the other drivers of vehicles that the laws will be obeyed and that everyone will look out for each other's safety. You and I walk into buildings all the time where the work of the architects and the builders and the contractors uh, don't usually come to our minds, but we are expressing faith just by being there. So we have many objects that we put our faith into. But as Christians, New Testament faith requires that the object of our faith is the Word of God. So you and I are the subjects. The action is actually having faith, trusting, believing, and acting. And the object is the Word of God. In our denomination, the Salvation Army, we believe that God's Word in the Old and New Testaments, the Scriptures, are the only object uh, properly used for religious faith and practice. So, uh, many of us think immediately of Hebrews 11.1, 1, for example. When we think of the word faith, that chapter lists the heroes of faith from the Old Testament. And the Hebrews writer says, memorably, faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. Now, what is interesting is that is not a definition of faith. It is a statement of what faith does. When it says in the King James Version, for example, that faith gives substance, it means that it makes concrete. It objectifies those things that we hope for. The things that have no existence as yet become real and substantial by the exercise of faith. And it makes us certain of realities. It provides evidence. Physical eyesight, for example, produces conviction or evidence of visible things. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order, according to F.F. F. Bruce, and works out to be seen what is not seen. So those are wonderful truths about faith. But the word actually carries with it a very specific meaning. First, action. You act upon if you have faith. Now, we can actually use the word in the English language in a way that doesn't require action. For example, if I say that I believe that the Atlanta Braves are going to win the World Series this year. I can believe that, but that doesn't require me to do anything about it. I simply assent to it in my mind. And that is the second part, belief. We act upon what the mind has assented to. And most of us are very accustomed to thinking of the word faith as believing and assenting in our minds to the truth of something. The third part of faith is confidence. What the heart has responded to, it's an emotional part of faith. Now, for example, when uh, the little boy jumps off 
the peer into the arms of his father in the water, he is expressing confidence. He has faith that his father is going to catch him and that it's going to be a fun experience and not one that ends poorly. So action and belief and confidence are all part of New Testament faith. So if we want to carry a working definition into this study and the next months of faith, according to the New Testament, it would be to act upon what our mind has assented to and what our heart has responded to. We're acting upon what we believe and in what we have confidence. Now, with that in mind, I want us to uh, turn our thoughts to this idea of affirming faith. You see, if holiness is relationship with the living God, then faith becomes very important. We already know that we are saved in part by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the just live by faith, and the New Testament is replete with uh, the responsibilities that faith brings into Christians' lives. But when we talk about affirming faith, I've been introduced to the specific way of practically living our faith by affirming the wonderful truths of God's Word. And I want to take time to use two examples, and we're going to explore them a little bit. And I hope that this will be an eye-opener for you, as it was for me. The first affirmation is taken from Romans 8, 37 to 39. Let me read the verses. Many of you may know them by heart. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's a great truth there for us to affirm. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. What are you afraid of? When our son Booth was a very little boy, he experienced what our doctor described and told us was night terrors. In the middle of the night, he would become terrified as he was caught in some kind of twilight zone, that dates me, between waking and sleeping, and couldn't quite find himself in either one. And it was so terrifying that he was afraid to sleep by himself or to even close his eyes after he had been awakened. Now, we worked through many difficult nights, assuring Booth that we were there and assuring him that God was there. One of the truths that came out of their experience, that experience, was that it's okay to be afraid, but you don't have to be afraid of being afraid. 
Nothing can separate us from God's love. He is always there with us. One of the most difficult times in a person's life can occur during a young person's first year of college. First-year students have to contend with lots of things, new roommates, cramped living quarters, making new friends, the chaos of dorm life, different lifestyles, and and very few enforceable rules in a few short weeks. One year, as the Protestant chaplain and the student leadership were preparing their outreach materials for the new class, one of the student leaders named Jessica Berry suggested that their motto should be, God goes to Georgetown too. Although she apologized for such a simple theological formula, her words expressed the essence of divine providence and of God's omnipresence. Wherever we are, God is present. In every circumstance, God is working for abundant life for us and everyone else. You'll remember in the Old Testament, this was the great discovery of Abraham and Sarah. The God who beckoned them forward was not confined by the borders of their homeland. God would protect and guide and challenge them in the future as God had done in the past. And when they arrived at the promised land, They built altars to the God who was already waiting to bless them there. Friends, divine providence is not an impersonal and passive force, but an active presence working within the challenges of everyday life. This is why we're connecting holiness with faith. In every moment, God is leading us forward with the dream of what we can become as God's children. When we affirm, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, every place becomes home. For every place and every situation is a place of God's providence. Indeed, as we live with this affirmation, we will discover the basic trust in the goodness that many of us lost as children. We will discover God's sustaining presence as we prepare for surgery or face new responsibilities or confront the evils of our time. What are you afraid of? In Christ, we are more than conquerors. For nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what was a new insight and practice already for me is the idea that we can affirm these truths by speaking them and living with them and claiming them every day. For example, taking this truth, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I would repeat as often as possible that during the day, when I begin to feel anxious or stressed, I take a moment to say, nothing can separate me from the love of God as I inhale 
And then as I exhale, I can let go of the stress and anxiety. Breathe it into the hand of God. Often our affirmations take on life when we personalize them. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul gives a list of certain situations that appear to separate us from God's providential love. And you heard them as I read them. Death, life, angels, rulers, etc. He concludes, though, with the words, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I can turn our concerns and even fears into affirmations. And that's the practical element of what I want to be the heart of this study for you and me. In my own life, the approach as I've begun to use it has made God's presence and that scripture concrete and personal. I repeat affirmations such as these. The future cannot separate me from the love of God, whatever it holds. Financial worries cannot separate me from the love of God. Other people may say things like, controversy cannot separate me from the love of God. Unfamiliar situations cannot separate me from the love of God. In recent days, as I began to claim this truth and start affirming my faith every morning, I've acknowledged cancer cannot separate me from the love of God. The destruction of our home in Hurricane Ian cannot separate me from the love of God. Where do you need to experience God's providential care today? Where do you need to experience his presence and protection? I would encourage you to take a moment and fill in the following affirmations. Blank, and you fill it in, cannot separate me from the love of God. Blank, cannot separate me from the love of God. It's a wonderful exercise, and it, it, it gets us affirming at the very beginning of the day that which we know to be true. Now, folks, this is not the power of positive thinking, as there are many uh, systems and ways that suggest that if you just stay positive, it will uh, eventually have some kind of, of good effect on you, and that may be true to a degree. What is important about this was stressed by Chris Tigreen. We are affirming to be true what we know actually is true because it's the Word of God. Now, as a companion to saying this or that cannot separate me from the love of God, we may want to affirm Paul's previous comment when we're facing difficult situations. In all things, Paul said, you remember, in the same passage, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, how would you affirm that? Perhaps by saying, in Christ, I am a conqueror 
of my fear of conflict. In Christ, I conquer the temptation to overeat. In Christ, I can conquer my feelings of low self-esteem. We are not alone in the struggle. God is with us to deliver us and to heal us. I don't know about you, but that's a wonderful way of beginning my day and occasionally through the day of reminding myself of biblical truth. And when, it, when I do that, I am intimately aware of my relationship with God the Holy Spirit and the fact that I have been set apart and God's love is always present in my life. Well, let's take one more biblical truth and look at it in the same kind of light. I hope you can see the ways this can be practical, and I am going to share Chris Tigreen's prayer, which he repeatedly made into an affirmation in, in a marvelous way in this last week's Bible conference that just reinforced for me what a wonderful practical way this can help us be set apart and stay with our hearts as close to God's heart as we can possibly uh, get it each day we live. Philippians 4, 19 and 20 gives us this promise. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now many of you will know that verse. And what a wonderful truth. My God will supply every need that I have. When we suffer uh, any significant change in our lives or relationships, we often, (laughs) some of us begin to think apocalyptically. We begin to imagine the worst possible scenario for ourselves and the world. We may forget God's providential care for our lives. But the biblical tradition proclaims that there is an alternative to reacting to these daunting changes or unknown futures with fearful and apocalyptic thinking. Our culture's consumerism wants us to believe that we can never have enough time, money, creativity, or intelligence to satisfy our deepest needs. Only by acquiring enough of the right possessions will we be safe from loneliness or economic collapse or natural disaster. But the fact is that poverty or scarcity consciousness is a matter of perception as much as reality. You've heard the stories. Think of the millionaires who are convicted of tax evasion or dishonest business dealings, possessed by their need to accumulate property and power. In their own minds, they've never had enough money, never had enough sufficient market share. Think of the person who complains about not having enough friends, yet never makes an effort to reach out to anyone. Think of the hours that many of us spend obsessing on tomorrow's financial situation 
as if it were a matter of life and death. (laughs) For many of us, the glass is always half empty, regardless of where we stand financially, relationally, or vocationally. We believe that we're alone and unsupported in an essentially uncaring and hostile universe. You see, from that perspective, only a prudent course of action is to look out for ourselves. Those are the moments when we need a transformed mind. Let me suggest to you that what we're talking about, developing the practice of affirming truth, biblical truth in our lives, is how we go about doing what God promised he wants us to do and will help us do in Romans 12.2, where it says, then, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a practical way we can renew our mind by accepting the discipline of affirming our faith in God and the truths of Scripture. One of my favorite gospel stories tells of a young boy whose gift of five loaves and two fishes feeds a multitude. This child, alone in a multitude of several thousand, trusts God's providence enough to give up his lunch. Now, when the disciples and the multitude saw scarcity, he saw, in some way, abundance in his modest gift. Did his gift inspire others to share? Whatever the miracle was, the transformation of the crowd from scarcity to abundance consciousness, this boy's small gift was the catalyst for God's blessing and, we believe, for Jesus' miracle to the crowd. Authentic consciousness of God's provisions for us In other words, knowing. And if we keep reminding ourselves, it will be there at the forefront of our minds that God will supply our deepest needs. That's far more than the glib promises of the health and wealth gospel marketed by certain televangelists. No, it is an attitude of deep trust in God's abiding care and his providential love. What would our days be like if we began each morning affirming or singing, this is the day that God has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's affirming truth. Or maybe one of the great hymns would be a blessing if we were to to sing or to say it to ourselves. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou have been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And here's the lesson found in the hymn. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me.
in the seasons of sowing and reaping and the gentle functioning of the systems of our bodies, the cardiovascular and immune systems, in the forgiveness of sin, in the transformation of suffering into joy, we can experience in all aspects of our lives the mercies graciously revealing God's omnipresent care. You would know, many of you, that the biblical tradition of stewardship calls us to distinguish between what we want and what we need. When Jesus says, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. In Matthew 7, 7, he's not promising to fulfill our every desire for money, power, and prestige. Rather, he is challenging us to prayerfully bring our needs and desires before God in anticipation that God's wisdom will reveal the deepest desires of our often restless hearts. I think of Jesus' words recorded in the Sermon on the Mount as they invite us to a deep examination of conscience, acknowledging God's care, becoming the basis for discerning the difference between needs and desires. But if God so clothe the grass of the field, Jesus said, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is not counsel to settle for less in life. The birds of the air and the lilies of the field declare God's glory and reveal God's aim for beauty. He wants us to experience beauty. In my own life, I'm discovering day by day that God works for abundance. Perhaps you've discovered the same thing. When I feel isolated or experience a sense of scarcity (laughs) as I stop and ponder the truths we've been talking about. I realize that supportive friends and exciting possibilities and unexpected inspirations fill my life. This isn't some magic thinking that assumes God will provide everything while I wait passively. That's the lesson today. Nor is it leaning on fate to determine unilaterally the events of my life. It's a confident trust that as I work each day to draw closer to God, to maintain the right attitude, and to keep my heart close to God's and seize the opportunities that every day brings, God will provide everything I need for myself and for others. In ways we cannot foretell in this life and the next, God is now supplying our every need. We use a word in our tradition, hallelujah. That's a a reason to rejoice. Now, let's move to how we would practice our faith by affirming this truth. 
take some time each day to repeat the affirmation. My God will supply all my needs. It will be a shield for you. It will be an inspiration for you. In your own spiritual affirmations, you can concretize this by relating it to your daily needs. Now, I have done that by stating my God will supply my need for creative writing ideas. My God will supply my need at one point to support my children's college education. My God will supply my need to grow spiritually in this time of challenge in my life. Now, how would you make concrete this affirmation? Take some time right now to create your own affirmation of faith. My God will supply my need for you fill in the blank. My God will supply my need for, and you fill in the blank. Then take time to conclude Paul's affirmation as you recognize the wonderful grace of God at work in your life. And that's true whether or not we acknowledge it. The truth is, my God will supply all my needs according to God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that is the practical way to affirm our faith, to act upon that which our mind has assented to and our heart has responded to. Now, it was just a revelation to me. It was as though God was waking me up with such a bright light, there was no way I could miss it. After uh, Bruce Epperly introduced me and then gave us his wonderful book on the power of affirmative faith, and I'd begun to work on it, we went to Bible conference at Lake Junaluska, and Chris Tigreen, in every one of his four sessions, taught us how he began his day by affirming the prayers of Paul in Ephesians. And he takes the prayers and Paul's requests and turns them into affirmations of what God can do. And in closing our study today, I want to do what Chris did each day. Now, he went a lot further than this, and he has... Uh, made it, it was just a blessing to all of us to hear him go through just some of what he begins every day with, affirming all the things that transform his mind and strengthen his faith and get him ready for the day. Here's an example from Ephesians chapter 3, and you will recognize the wonderful truths that are found here but they're in the statement of affirmations rather than requests. I am strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being because of the glorious riches of God. Christ dwells in my heart 
through faith. I am rooted and established in love. I have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I know the love that passes knowledge. I can be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. He can do and will do immeasurably more than I can even ask or imagine. He does it according to his power that is at work in me. I give him glory in the church. I give him glory in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Well, this study was a bit of a contrast in the way we dealt with it than last month's where we were looking at church history and uh, the history of the doctrine. But, you know, uh, doctrine is made for us and given to us as a way to help us to live for Christ. And I think it's a good thing that we are stopping now and looking at very practical ways that we can live the life of faith and live in that relationship that is alive and dynamic and central in our lives with God's Holy Spirit. He can and will direct our paths. So I challenge you, affirm your faith. Find those promises. We're going to go at least one more month and look at some more promises now that we've built this foundation. But holiness and faith go hand in hand. And remember, to truly have faith, we must act upon what we believe and our confidence in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll look forward to seeing you uh, next month. Pray God's blessing upon you. Pray that you will seek each day to allow God's Spirit to lead and direct you and to live in a complete and whole relationship with Him and to experience what it's like to be set apart and the way we can live our faith out by being set apart for God. May he transform our minds as we have already prayed today. I look forward to seeing you next month. Until then, uh, may the Lord's blessing be upon you. This is Vern Jewett signing off. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.